interrupt our worship service. Who does he think he is? With miracles and testimony. You know, the Bible says to us that when we come into a worship service, we should be ready for the song, for the testimony, for the scripture to give glory and honor to God. Said ready, didn't necessarily say plan. So a lot of times when God, when we plan things, God just wants to show us how sovereign he is. Amen? Because uh, he already had a plan. And the question is, can we move with God when he moves among us? Amen. And if the experience of worship is to be tangible, God must be free to move. And so if something like Breno asked us to do earlier seems odd to you, I want you to understand that that's not odd to God. Amen? Because God is, he's here to meet us, to move and to speak to us. And sometimes our, like Jesus says, you know, the traditions of man have made null the power of God. We get so locked into our traditions. We don't give God time to do what he wants to do. And so I just want to say thank you for allowing God to move. Let that sit in your spirit this morning and receive what God would say in it. Amen. And just as an elder here in the church, I just want to affirm uh, the moving of the spirit of God and us giving God freedom and the worship team having to change their worship set because God is just like moving. Amen. And uh, that's the power of moving in the spirit of God. And so I would just say, let's just give God praise for moving among us. Amen. Come on. It's good to be in the house of God, amen? And um, this time of year is is always an anxious and exciting time and a busy time of year, amen? Uh, People travel more this time of year. People, um, uh, they deal with more anxiety and discouragement this time of year than any other time of the year. And um, I feel like, as, as, uh, it, just in the background, our whole eldership team uh, has just been communicating a lot with each other lately about how we just feel like, man, there, there is something around the corner. There's something of God stirring. Uh, because we have gotten used to when it seems like we're pressed on all sides with struggle or wrestlings or, 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 or things um, that just around the corner, if we posture our heart right, it opens a door for God to move in a, in a powerful way. The enemy is always trying to cut off the move of God. To, I, I'm going to say this word, to abort the move of God in our heart through disappointment and discouragement. To, to cause us to miscarry, if it will. Uh, the thing God is trying to birth in us, and it's not, it's not unusual that during this time of year, God tries to birth something in us. He- Hello, somebody. It's the message of the season. God birthing something into the earth. And so if, if you're there, if you're wrestling, if you're struggling over something, just remember God is trying to birth something in us. And, and maybe the wrestling that you're having right now is, is uh, the pain, the, the pains of birthing. Come on. Um, the pains of pregnancy inside of who we are. Amen? So let's just rest in that some and pray for one another uh, now as, as God stirs some things inside of us. Amen? 
And uh, it would probably do us all well to, to cease from our striving and, and busyness and spend more time resting in prayer. Amen? So, um, let's see what God says. I, I, I think there's some things that God did during the service that I, too, am going to try and work into what I feel like God is sharing with us in the close of this sermon series of Christmas or children's stories before we move into the Christmas series. I have enjoyed this. Uh, number one, because I always enjoy digging deep in the scripture. Um, moving beyond the shallowness and really trying to dig out what is there for me. And each and every one of these stories, we could go on forever. Hello, somebody. I got a book in there of 101 children's stories. We, we could go on forever. Um, as you pick out these children's stories and just go, what's the depth in it? But at some point, we have to, to, to move into what God is doing, and the Christmas series is definitely one of those things. I want to end today with a very famous character in the scripture, Moses. Everybody say Moses. I've shared my thoughts lately on a couple of things about the life of Moses and how it's connected to the life of Jesus, especially in related to current affairs. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, everybody say by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, hello somebody, refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid. Everybody say he wasn't afraid. Of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Let our hearts settle into it, Lord. Let our ears hear it and receive it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? All right, let me give you the children's version here just so we can uh, all be on the same page of where we're at, okay? Now, if I was to write the children's version of, of, of Moses, this is what I would do. Years ago, there's a very bad king in Egypt. And he hated the Israelites. In fact, he hated them so much that he commanded that, that all their baby boys should be thrown into the river and drowned. He was a bad king. But there was a mother who loved her baby very much, and she hid him from the king as long as she could. And when she couldn't hide him anymore, she made a basket and placed him in it. She put him in the river near where the king's daughter would come and wash herself. When the king's daughter came to the river, she heard the baby cry and immediately loved him. She wanted to make him her own little boy. She named him Moses. Well, it just so happened that Moses' sister Miriam was watching over her brother. And when she saw that the king's daughter loved Moses, she asked the king's daughter if she wanted someone to take care of the new child. 
Pharaoh's daughter, said yes. And Miriam went and got Moses' mother to be his nurse. That's an amazing story. Jochebed was her name. She put her son in a river, hoping beyond hope that he would somehow survive. There's no way she could have known that by releasing her son, she would still get the chance to raise him. It's an, it's an incredible story. I mean, when you just sit down into Moses' life, it's an amazing story. Henry Ward Beecher, famous preacher, um, He's an evangelist during the Second Great Awakening, which was a revival in the early 1800s that literally shaped America's morality. We could use another one of those. And I would encourage you sometimes to read about the Second Great Awakening and how the morality of America was shaped, not by politics, not by laws, not by Congress, not by the president. The morality of America was shaped... Because there was an awakening of God in our country. And for decades, people lived the way they lived based on the way God had moved in what we call the Second Great Awakening. And this preacher by the name of Henry Ward Beecher, he was one of the preachers that preached with fire during this revival. But when he was a little boy... There's a story that was told of him. The teacher in his classroom asked the students a question. And one of the students stood up in the classroom and gave the teacher an answer. answer and the teacher became very angry and shouted at this young man that he was wrong and commanded that he sit down. The students were shocked and she called on another student. And that student stood up and Gave the exact same answer as the boy before him had given. And, and she shouted at him that he was wrong and commanded that he sit down and call on another student. And this scenario played out time and time and time again as every student gave the exact same answer. What was yelled at by the preacher that it was the wrong answer until it finally came to little Henry Ward Beecher. She called on him. He stood up. And he gave the exact same answer as every student before him. This teacher yelled at him and said, no, it's the wrong answer. Sit down. And Beecher said, no. Now, I'm sure he did it respectfully. She said, you sit down right now. You gave the wrong answer. And he said, no. The teacher and Little Henry stood there eye to eye. And this was what the teacher did. Smiled. And said, well, boys, you are all correct. But Beecher was the only one sure enough to stand up for it. Why would he do that? Because he had faith in his righteous answer. 
There comes a time in Moses' life when he says no. There comes a time in his life when he says no. From the story that we know of Moses' life, if we just take the children's story, from there we, we understand how Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. We, we get this. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. We get this. He, 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 he sits there, but what we might not understand is that being the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would also be trained and taught in the religion of Egypt. He would be discipled into understanding the many gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh himself. As a young man growing up, Moses would learn that Pharaoh himself was a god to be worshipped. What we might not understand from a children's story about Moses is that Moses himself was being groomed to be a Pharaoh. What we might not understand from a, a simple reading of the scripture is you've got to understand is that Moses was being trained and taught that he himself would be a god. That one day he would be worshipped. Think about who Moses was. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, one day you will be a Pharaoh. One day you will be a god. Because they believed that pharaohs were demigods and that, and that they represented a, a, a god in physical flesh and the Egyptians worshipped them this one. Moses, just by being Pharaoh's uh, uh, daughter's son, was, he was destined to be a leader in Egypt. Josephus, who is a famous biblical Jewish historian, he speculates that Moses was educated, he was a prince, and that he was a mighty warrior of Egypt. As a matter of fact, he gives us plenty of examples where Moses himself would lead the Egyptian armies against the Ethiopians taking their major cities. Moses was a leader, a general, a conqueror. And there are some people who believe that Moses himself may have been the architect in Egypt to the things we cannot explain how they got built. From a simple reading of Moses' life, we might not see those things. And you've got to imagine the life he lived. And one day he says no. I'm not doing that. Came a day when he refused to be the, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. One of his people? Now, how did he get that idea? How did he get that thought process? How did he understand and know that he was a Hebrew? It's a great question. 
It's one of those things where you can't just read your Bible. You got to read your Bible. Exodus chapter 2, verse 5. It's an incredible story. I just want to read a little bit of it. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse for the young child? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the, the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. You can't overlook this portion of Scripture. You can't when you talk about Moses' life. Because, see, Moses' mother got to raise him. She got to teach him. She got to influence him. Come on, somebody. She got to teach him. She got to influence him. Before he ever began to learn about Egyptian gods, he already got to learn about the one God. Perfect was instilled in his heart right away. Her God was established into him well before he started learning about the gods of Egypt. Come on, church. Was it a coincidence that his own mother got to raise him? Well, Albert Einstein said this about coincidence. I love this. Albert Einstein said coincidence is God's way of working anonymously. Now, who's going to argue with Albert? Moses' mother was there through his childhood because God wanted her to teach him about her faith. Oh, church, you can't, you can't just, I mean, come on, you've got to move through this. Watch this. What does Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tell us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then Hebrews chapter 11 tells us Moses made his decision because of faith. He's, he's deciding I'm not going to be worshipped. I'm not going to be a false god. His mama told Moses all about God's promises. Listen to me, church. His mama told Moses all about how God had brought the Israelites into Egypt. His mama told Moses about how God had protected Moses when he was born, floating down the river. She would have driven home that she believed in a mighty and powerful God. She made her faith come alive to Moses. Let me just say something to us as a church. We, 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 we struggle to make our faith come alive to people around us because it's not even alive to us. Doubts fill our mind and our life and our thought. Joe Wells comes up to me during worship and he says, man, this is pushing on me. God showed me a picture. God showed me a picture of a fire and a pot of water boiling and God's starting to stir something inside of us. 
And he said, I, I, I was reminded of a, as a little boy when, when I fell into a horse trough and should have died and drowned. And when they got me to the hospital, the doctor said to my parents, there's not even any water in his lungs. He said, there was a time when the doctor told me I shouldn't be playing softball. And, and Doug prayed for me. And for 10 years, I had no hip problems. He said, now they're telling me that I got carpal tunnel so bad that I shouldn't even be able to move my fingers. But here I stand. And he said to me, he said, I attribute. He didn't know what I had written on this paper. He said to me, I attribute all of this to the fact that when I was a little boy, my daddy shared his faith with me in such a way that caused me to see Jesus like I'd never be able to see him before. It was my daddy who put faith inside of me. It was my daddy who made Jesus alive to me. Let me tell us, let me tell you something, people. See, we're so interested in just trying to survive. We can't share our faith and make it alive to those around us. And I want to say to us, if we've got a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a niece or a nephew, or even just a neighbor kid that seems to always be at our house, we should make our faith come alive to them. We should live in such a way that makes them hungry and thirsty for the God we believe in. And maybe they'll become a great man or a great woman of God. There's no quinky dink that a kid shows up at your house. Not by coincidence. I love to ask the young people in this church, what is God speaking to you? Tell me what you see. Tell me what you hear. Let's talk about how God is moving inside of that. That's not somebody else's testimony. Come on. It's a brother we know and lives and works with us. My daddy made his faith alive to me. But now wait a minute. If that is true... If Moses caught his faith from his mother, how is it that he waits until he's 40 years old to recognize his people? That's a legit question. For 40 years, he's taught all about Egypt and its power. For 40 years, he's surrounded by power and prestige. For 40 years, there's not a place where Moses walked where people didn't get out of the way. For 40 years, there's not a thing Moses wanted that he didn't get. For 40 years, there's not a a time that he didn't have influence because of Egypt. For 40 years, he lives in luxury and comfort. Mm-hmm. He's born a Hebrew, but he's raised by an Egyptian. It would have been hard for him to leave that old lifestyle. He's human like me and you. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Yeah, I don't don't know if sometimes you just read the scripture and it just messes with you. It It just... These words, he chose to be mistreated 
with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses found it pleasurable being in Pharaoh's house. Who wouldn't? He knew he was a Hebrew, but he had grown content with the advantages of the life he was living. Come on, somebody. Bruno and Juliana and I were talking the other day, and we just talked about, you know, as, as a Western world church, we have not, we have not experienced persecution. The church in America has not experienced persecution. We haven't. We will. But not yet. Come on, church. We haven't yet. And you, you can list all the struggles you want to, but until you understand what it means to be an underground church. Until you understand what it means to literally have your life threatened and your family killed because you're a Christian. He found it pleasurable. He'd learned to walk and talk and live like an Egyptian. And he liked it. Eli, who, what? Come on. But one day, he had to make a choice. One day, he had to decide that the worldly life was not going to work with his mama's faith. Ugh. There's this conflict inside of him. There's a stirring that was always, I can't help but to believe it was always there. Because it, it was, it, the life he was living was always in conflict with the faith that his mama made alive to him. The thing that was going on, the things he was learning, the things he was doing, always in conflict to the things that his mama made alive to him. And when he made that decision, it became his faith, not his mama's. And here's my point. Come on, somebody. There comes a time in your life when you'll have to make a choice. When you realize that by faith, you're going to have to say no. I, I need to speak to every young person in this church who's listening to me right now. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to make a choice. There's going to come a time when you've got to decide. Is this of God or is this not of God? There's going to come a time when you find yourself in conflict with what the world is trying to give you versus what your parents have made alive to you. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand up and say no. No. That is not what God has called me to do. I don't know what you're going to have to say no to. That is not Pastor Don's job to put in your life. I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Your journey is not my journey. What God has called me to say no to is not a legalistic pattern for you. But I hope that my faith has been such alive to you that one day you'll be able to take that and say, no, not to, not to me, not to my family, and not to God. I'm not doing this. You'll say, Pastor Don, how will I know what it is? You'll know. Trust me, you'll know. You'll know. 
It'll stand out to you so bright and shiny, and you'll know. But they won't. it doesn't mean there won't be a wrestling, but you'll know. And then you'll have to make that choice. It ain't going to be easy, but it'll be the right choice. There's some grown-ups that could take that same advice. When I read this scripture, there's a part of it. I'm just going to be honest with you. As a, as a student of the scripture, there's a part of it that puzzles me. Because Hebrews chapter 27 says, By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid. Let me tell you why I'm puzzled. That is not, that is not what Exodus says. And let me say this. I say this to all the guys who are in discipleship class. I say this to all the Bible students in the Bible college. When you think there's a contradiction in the Scripture, the contradiction is not with the Scripture. It is with your interpretation. Dig deeper. Dig deeper because there is something there. The Bible never contradicts itself. As a matter of fact, the Bible itself will reveal itself. David Campbell says it so well, the Scripture will interpret itself. So if I find a contradiction, it's not with the Scripture, it's with my interpretation. And so therefore, I need to dig a little bit. Hebrews says, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid. But yet, in Exodus, it says... He was afraid. Hello, somebody. Moses saw the taskmaster beating the Hebrew and he killed him. He killed the Egyptian. Watch this, watch this. And then we're told Moses was afraid. Exodus chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Surely this thing is known. That's what he said. And when Pharaoh hears of it, he's going to kill me. And sure enough. And sure enough. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. That's what Exodus says. Hebrew says he was not afraid. Exodus says he was so afraid that he left Egypt and went to the backside of the desert. Now, I preached a sermon some years ago, hello somebody, called A Bush on Fire. And in there, if you never heard that message, it was great. The backside of anything is not a good side. It's not the best side. If you don't believe that, just go home today and pull your refrigerator out from the wall. Pull the dryer out from the wall. Somebody say amen. What happened back there? What lives back here? He's in the backside of the desert because he was afraid of Pharaoh. That's what Exodus teaches us. So what's going on, church? Hebrews says Moses was not afraid of the anger of the king, but Exodus says he was. What's going on? Well, I'm going to look long and hard because I've got Pastor Rick instilled this into me. Don't let the contradictions cause you to be frustrated. Let them push you into the scripture. When you think they're there because there's no contradiction. So I'm looking hard. I'm looking long at Hebrews. And what I found out is there's a difference. 
Hebrews is focused on Moses' faith. Exodus is focused on his failure. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Moses did that. That's what Hebrews tells us. My church. But Hebrews does not say by faith, Moses struck and killed the Egyptian. It doesn't say by faith, he killed the Egyptian. It never says that. Why not? Because it wasn't faith that led Moses to kill the Egyptian. Ramon came up to me during worship and he said, you know what? Here's my struggle. And I believe it's not only mine, but it's everybody's struggle. We fight this thing in our own strength. We fight this thing in our own strength. And that's why we always fail. That's why the story can't be written by faith. Come on. Instead, it's written in fear. Listen to me, church. Let me prove it to you. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says Moses looked this way and that way. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. It's not faith if you have to look around to make sure no one sees you're doing it. It's not faith if you have to hide what you've done. Oh, come on, Christian. Yeah, just don't get all violated now. It's just a children's story. It's not faith if it's got to be hid in the sand. It's not faith if it's got to be tucked in darkness. It's not faith if you feel like you've got to keep it from being revealed. It's not faith. It's guilt. That is unforgiveness. Well, church, and Ramon says, man, it's unforgiveness that leads me to trust in my own strength. It's unforgiveness that leads us to trust in our own strength. And it affects us all. Moses knew what he was doing was wrong, but he felt justified in doing it. Listen to me, church. It was a bad choice nonetheless, and it still had consequences. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Because Moses knew he'd made a bad choice, he died to his dreams. In that moment, he died to being a Hebrew. And for 40 years, he lived as an outcast. I'm, I'm going I'm to preach to you right now. I'm going to get real personal. I'm going to just get real personal. Well, I might as well do it to you because Jesus did to me. Choices are always tied to the success of the future. I didn't put that up there. You can tweet that, though. Choices are always tied to the success of your future. Bad choices will kill your dreams. And every adult in here who's had to die to a dream because of bad choices should have said amen so every young person can hear you. My goal as I get older is to see them live out the dreams God has put in their heart. This should be the goal of every one of us in here. To see our young people live out what God has put in their heart. 
and to make our faith so alive to them that when they're standing in the parking lot on a Saturday night having to make choices and daddy ain't there, mama ain't there and they know what's right or wrong but they got some friends who maybe don't live faith, who maybe aren't Christians, who maybe say, I don't see what's so bad about this thing. It's okay. It's all right. They got to make a choice about who they're going to be in that moment. They got to make a choice of how they're going to live in this moment. They're not making a choice about how they're going to live on Sunday. They're not making a choice about how they're going to live when they get back home where mom and dad can see them. They're not making a choice at that moment about how they're going to live in the classroom when the teacher's watching them. In that moment, standing in that place, they're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is going to depend on whether somebody showed them that faith is real and made faith alive, that Jesus is tangible, he's alive and well. And in that moment, I pray that our young people will be able to stand in the midst to that thing and not fail in their own strength but stand in the power of God young people old people people who don't get it bad choices will kill your dreams spiritually physically financially and emotionally every single time there's not a person in here who has ever made a bad choice that can't say amen how many dreams have we had to die to? How many things have we hoped for that will never be? Well, why would God tell us this part of Moses' life? Why would God want us to see how Moses messed everything up? I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. Because I believe that God wants me to see how I mess everything up too. The things that I do that rob me of my dreams and my hopes. The things that I do that make me feel so guilty that I don't think God would ever have anything to do with me again. How many times do we lose our temper? I lost my temper last week. I did. And I had to apologize to a young man. And God told me, because you lost your temper with him, that I'm going to make you fix it yourself. So I called him up, and I was like, hey, I'm sorry. In the spring, me and you are going to spend the whole day together. And we're going to fix this. Was that punishment? No. Not at all. It was God seeking me out. When I sat at my desk and thought, I failed that young man. Failed him because I was stressed. There was so much going on. And in a moment, in my anger, I failed him. He was upset because of my temper. His feelings were hurt, not because of what happened, but because I was angry. I called my wife, and I was like, just pray for me. I, I think I just hurt a whole bunch of people's feelings that I love very much. 
And in that moment, when I was tempted to run away from, Mo, from God, just like Moses did, God came and found me. Watch this. I'm not done with you yet. God is focusing on how Moses trashed his own life. He started out strong. By faith, he said, no. I'm not going to be Pharaoh's daughter's son anymore. But then he messed up. How can you do it right one minute and do it wrong the very next? Come on, am I the only one? Man, I got this right and then I just bombed. Come on, you ever had an answer right on a test and you erased it and circled the wrong answer and then you found out I didn't write the whole time. There's no wonder that Moses thought it was all over, that God wouldn't love him anymore. But the repeated message in Hebrew is what? All of them messed up! Not a one of them in there didn't mess up. Everybody's searching in Hebrews now. Let me go by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But if you go back and look at the story, you're like, hold up, wait a minute. Something ain't right. Every great man and woman in Hebrews chapter 11 got something wrong. Somebody say amen. But God loved them anyway, and God used them anyway for his glory. I want you to see this this morning. Moses had made a decision to act by faith before he ever messed up. And though he may have run away from God, when the time was right, God came looking for him. And that's when Moses' life changed forever. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, let's read it again. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Let me say this to you, church. Hear me with your good ears. God skipped over the failure of Moses that nearly destroyed him, and he went straight from the faith Moses had to say no to Pharaoh's daughter and then took him to the burning bush. Oh. Oh. and turned him into a man who could walk boldly into Pharaoh's court. You see, I want to tell you this morning that if you've messed up, if you run away from God, if you feel like you've had to hide on the backside, come on. You better believe Not only is God coming to look for you, I would dare to say God's back there waiting on you. He's not done with you. He turned him into a man who was hiding, scooping poop. I don't know if you know much about sheep, but it goes out one end as fast as it goes in the other. He turned him into a man who said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. 
that they may serve their God. Come on, church. You see, that's what God does. God takes people who mess up and he turns them into men and women who now have faith and power. Oh, my. Come on, church. I don't know about you, but I have been stirred and renewed in my spirit. Because you have no idea how many times that I know I mess up. Back in the third century, there was a debate between a Christian leader named Origen. Now, if you don't know much about him, um, he's an incredible Christian teacher. His name literally is Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. He debated a Greek philosopher who was a hater of Christianity, and this philosopher's name was Celsus. Now, Celsus mocked Christ by saying this. Here's, here's Celsus' words, and I quote, Most teachers go forth to teach. They cry. Come to me. You who are clean and worthy. And they are followed by the highest caliber of people available. But your silly master, Christ, says, Come to me, you who are down and beaten by life. So he accumulates around him the ragtag, bobtailed of humanity. And Origen said this, you are correct. They are the ragtag and bobtail of humanity. But Jesus doesn't leave them that way. Ah! He says, out of the material you would have thrown away as useless. Jesus fashions men, giving them back their self-respect. Enabling them to stand on their feet and look God in the eyes. Does that violate you? That God, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, sent Jesus to stand you on your feet so that you and him can look eye to eye. Does it violate you to think... That God would be so personal to you that he would want to look you eye to eye. You see, people who want to look me in the eye, they're hiding something. They have something of shame they don't want me to see. The Bible says that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And when we can't look God eye to eye, that means, come on, we know what he'll see. And we're full of shame because of it. But Origen was right when he said, God, God stands us up on our feet. And he removes our shame. He takes our mess and molds it for his glory. He causes us to stand before him in a way where we can look eye to eye with no shame, with dignity. He did that. He says to Celsus, they are cowed, cringing, broken things. But the Son of God has set them free. Glory to God. I'm a free man. Come on. I'm a free man.
did I miss it? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> there's a woman, there's a reason why this woman can't say much in church. Hello, somebody. Because I mess up every day. And you'd have to feel so sorry for her. Church Moses said no. He said no. Not going to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I am a child of God. I belong to him. Come on, I, I don't know where you're at, who you are this morning, but I hope that this series has stirred you in such a way that you can stand up with me right now and not be ashamed that God himself wants to look you eye to eye and say, I love you. Maybe you've been on the backside of the desert because of what you did, where you've been, what you've been through. I'm here to tell you today the time of running from God is over because he has found you. What do you think you can hide back there for? <laughs> he said, Moses, out of a burning bush. And Moses is like, wait a minute. What is this thing? Moses, take your shoes off. Oh, I know who he is. Come on. You are in the presence of God. And he says to Moses, basically, I, I don't care. I have called you. I have redeemed you. You're a free man. Go in the boldness of freedom and the liberty of God. And watch how your faith will set other people free. Oh, y'all, I don't know what else. Father, right now in this place, you are so good to us. To look you eye to eye, see you face to face. Forgive us, Lord, for standing in our own strength. Forgive us, God, that in our own strength, instead of bringing life, we brought death. But right now in this moment, God, we surrender. We surrender. Let the life of who you are flow through us, God. Help us to bring deliverance to all those around us. Right now in the name of Jesus. Right now in the name of Jesus. Let the power of God flow. You've been on the backside of that desert for a long time. But God has come looking for you this morning and he has found you. God isn't coming looking because he didn't have anything else to do. God came looking because he had a call on your life. He's tired of you living. Like you don't belong. You belong this morning. You are who you are because of God. And so, Father, I just declare it right now in the name of Jesus in this place. Let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. If we've been hiding, God, let us come out. If we've been ashamed, God, wash it away. If we've, been, if we've felt unworthy, God, help us to stand in your power, not in our own. This morning, God, let restoration come. And I say right now to the things that would hold the people of God in bondage and slavery. I speak to depression. I speak to anxiety. I speak to brokenness. I speak to marriage problems. I speak to parenting issues. I speak to children's issues. I speak to addictions right now. Let 
my people go in Jesus' name. sent Jesus and I want to encourage you this morning you're free to worship God be free 
For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Father, I pray for us right now. Thank you for the delivering power of your hand. Thank you for a children's story that causes faith to come alive inside of us. And our prayer as a church, God, is that we live our faith in such a way that it would cause our faith to be alive to each and every person around us. We are not people who are perfect, God. You never required that. We are just people who are willing to be perfected step by step. Use who we are for your glory and for your honor. We surrender to your freedom. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Ah, turn around and tell somebody they were just Yeah. 